Hello, and welcome to So You Need a Video, a podcast that helps B2B businesses create captivating content, engage the right people, and drive more sales. I'm Hope Morley. I'm Guy Bauer. And in this episode, we are going to be talking about an article that we saw on Marketing Week's website, um, citing research from the LinkedIn B2B Institute and the market research agency System One. And in this article, they found that the vast majority of B2B creative is, quote, ineffective. (laughs) Uh, And they found in doing this research, so they looked at 1,600 B2B ads that were shown to a sample of 6 million people worldwide. So this is not a small study um, over the course of four years. And 75% of those ads scored (laughs) one star or less on an emotional measurement tour. Tool. Out of a five-star... Out of a five-star rating. One star or less. So some of these were coming up at literally zero. 75% were one star or less. Um, so that's saying that basically 75% of these ads created zero emotional response in the people that watched them. That these people... The, the way this tool works is that it, it records your face when you're mm-hmm. watching something. So it's like if you smile or if you look sad or, you know, if you have any sort of emotional, any emotions that show up on your face, this right. would track it. And this is like, yeah, these people were completely dead faced <laughs> in watching 75% of these ads. That's huge. The exact and- result we're looking for, right? Dead faced audience people <laughs> when they watch our, our exactly. ads. <laughs> <laughs> and not only did 75% of these ads have zero reaction, but 0% of the ads got a five star. So none of them had the top and like the highest emotional reaction that you can record. Right. And that was uh, a five star means it has a strong story, our character, soundtrack, emotion, an affluent device which dra- drives brand recognition. That's a five star. Yeah. So if you check all those boxes, you can get to five stars. None of these B2B ads did. I guess the first question I have, and I know the answer, but this is a test hope, <laughs> is um, I guess they weren't saying that, they were saying that 75% of the ads are failing to produce emotion, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so we are then correlating emotion with effectiveness, right? So we're saying like, it's like a transitive mathematics thing, right? Like, yeah, yeah. No emotion equals ineffective or e- Cor- correct. Conversely, yeah. emotion equals effective. But is that actually, I'm going to be, I'm going to be like a professor here, a researcher. Like, is that actually true though? Does emotion make something effective? That's a really good question. And it's a good point. That's what this research is saying. um, And that's what the B2B Institute would argue is that if you are not generating any emotion in people that they're not going to remember it. And I do think there is, there's psychological literature that you you have stronger memories associated when something is emotional like you just mm-hmm. think about any of any memories that you have of your entire life you know you you don't remember things if there's no emotion attached to them I, so, I dream in spreadsheets so I don't yeah well that. I no, that's me but <laughs> <laughs> you probably dream in color I dream in spreadsheets but <laughs> <laughs> um 
So if if the purpose of advertising is to get people to remember your product and then want to take action with something of purchase your product or get more information without driving emotion, how are you going to get anyone to remember you and then take action? Yeah. And I think what, what they were saying too, is that, um, is I guess it's the advertising can still work if it's one star. It's just, you're going to have to pay very much, you know, like you're going to like, because there's no memorable quality of the spot of the ad, there's no, you get, it's very inefficient, right? It's like, it's like you have to pay to play always. Whereas Correct. you, you do score high on emotion. They say, you know, an average of 3%, um, a brand grows by an average of 3% in the long term, aiding to excess share of voice and category spend if it does score high on emotion. Right. So it's both pay to play. So like you're investing a lot of money in your ad buys if you're not creating emotions or being memorable, but it's also, um, it only drives short-term growth instead of long-term growth, because if you're completely forgettable and you're not driving this emotional reaction in your prospects and your viewers, then a year from now, they have no memory of this spot that they watched. So there's no long-term gain as opposed to, I think a lot of us can think of television commercials from years ago that we still remember and that are catchy for some reason, or they hit, they were funny. They were like emotional. Um, and we remember those and they don't have to keep running it for it to keep being in my head. The second you turn off, like you stop spending on these ineffective one star or zero star ads, it's gone. Like the exactly. second it turns off. Right. Right. It's not going to live on in your head. Right. Um, the way that a really effective commercial should. And um, in the art, the article goes on to explain that, you know, it's, and I see this too. Uh, our clients are all B2B and um, it's really hard to, it's really hard for marketers to fight for creative work in organizations that are run by more of the engineering type. Yeah. Right. The product and the sales teams. Right. And those, those folks and not a dig on them. Cause I know plenty of product and salespeople that gave us tons of carte blanche creatively, but typically um, those folks want more features and benefits like, or, and, and not even the benefits I would say, feature. Let the product be the thing. Those people tend to think that if you have the best features that people are, it's that like rational consumer mindset that like, if you have the best features and you have the best benefits, then obviously people will pick your product. Like why do you need a creative spot to sell it? Because it's the best product. So clearly people will pick it. You know, there's that assumption that everybody is fully rational in all their buying decisions and that if you have the best product that people obviously always will choose that. Right. And And that's, that negates just human, like when, especially in 2020, hello, humans (laughs) don't make sense. (laughs) Yeah, we are in 2021, but yeah. (laughs) Um, 
Yeah. So people don't, it's, and in B2B, especially there's this pervasive myth that people are completely rational consumers because it's for your business. So you're making a business decision and there's no right. emotions involved. Um, but we all know that's not true. Like you can't divorce your emotional self from your rational self just because it's between nine and five. Yeah. And, and usually, and I think another dynamic that's at play here is that B2B clients, right? So customers of our customers, the end customer that we're, you know, that B2B marketers are trying to advertise to more and more it's committees, you know, Mm -hmm. especially with these huge implementations and multi-year engagements. As price goes up. Yeah. You're looking at more and more group committee decisions. Right. And then it gets harder and harder for us, for marketers to be like, no, no, let's go with something creative and funny or emotional or, you know, it makes you cry or whatever. When the sales team is like, yeah, but listen, I'm in the room with these folks. They're grilling me on our competitors features. And like, I can't show them a video with like a mountain climber, you know, and our product is loosely tied in, you know, with just a logo at the end and a clever line. Like I'm in the trenches here. Like, you know, our competitors slash cutting price, they're undercutting us or they're, you know, they're gold plating the engagement and yada, yada, yada. And I think that's where the pressure comes in. It's, it's because the sales teams are you know, the engineers and all the folks that are going to have to end up implementing this thing and marketing coming in with this mountain climber thing is like kind of like, you know, it doesn't really matter. And I have a solution. Yeah. I was going to ask. So what, what would you say to those teams? Is that, you know, and, and, and I see this dynamic and I wrote an article about mullet videos, but the idea is that you have to understand that there's stages in a sales process. It's not just like client A is like, hey, we need a cloud thing. All right, let's call somebody and get them in here and we'll make our decision in a week. It actually goes on for many months. Yeah, you need to get in the room with that committee. Correct. That's not step one. And a lot of people, especially the sales folks, thinks that marketing starts once you're in the room Um, And maybe they don't. Maybe that's not real. Maybe that's not true. But the idea is that the moment your client calls you or the moment you get an RFP, actually, they've been perusing your site and doing their own analysis and spreadsheets for maybe a quarter before you even got that RFP. Or it, it may have taken them a quarter to write the RFP. And the previous quarter is when they were deciding who to talk to. Or And so the idea is that there's two distinct phases and I borrow this from Blair ends who I believe borrowed it from somebody else, but um, <laughs> it's, uh, the two phases are first phase is inspire. Your prospect needs to be inspired to take some kind of action to transform. Uh, Blair Enns says that sales is simply change management. Your client has woke something in the organization has woken up some desire to change and change is uncomfortable. Um, and uh, you as a salesperson and a marketer have to manage that, help them manage that change. But the first step before they decide to 
you know, send an RFP or whatever and all that stuff is to be inspired. Mm-hmm. And the second phase is reassurance. So as the deal gets closer and closer to closing and it becomes more and more real that your client is about to write a big check and take a big risk on you, their mindset shifts from like wanting um, business success to avoiding business failure. And it's that moment, like, you know, if I was in a boat that's sinking and there's a lifeboat, but there's like sharks between the two and I have to make a jump. It's the moment of hesitation, cold feet, where they're like, maybe we should just stick with the boat we're on. You know? <laughs> and you have to be like, no, 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 listen, it's going to sink. Um, but trust me, I'll, you know, on this lifeboat is a better way. You just have to get over those sharks and, and have confidence <laughs> in yourself. And, and the way they do that is by you reassuring them that everything's going to be okay. What most B2B brands do is they mix the two up into marketing that tries to inspire and reassure at the same time. And because you're speaking to a brackish, there's no one in that phase of wanting to be inspired and wanting to be reassured at the same time. That's where you end up with these dud one star videos, because to your organization, that seems safe, seems safe to blend it and make like a one video, one size fits all that we can put on our LinkedIn and try to gain awareness, but then also give to salespeople to show in the room. And that's a big mistake because you're talking to different, you're talking to the same group of people just at different points in time. It doesn't make sense. And where it's called a mullet video is because, you know, the inspire video is like, imagine like a rock star, long hair, rock star, cool dude, which I don't even know if that's cool anymore. Right. I mean, I think, I think we mentioned Axel Rose in the blog yeah, post about this, cool. which is, <laughs> he's so cool. <laughs> um, so the, you know, the inspire video is, um, cool, long hair. And then the reassure video is the more business person, shorter hair, right? And and where you get the mullet is when you mix short hair and long hair, you get a mullet and no one likes a mullet. So that's what I believe is the genesis of these one star amongst a million other things. But uh, that's how I think you can get out of it is splitting it into two phases. And then when you bring that logic to your sales team, or at least, you know, the engineering led stakeholders, sometimes it changes minds. Yeah. And I think another thing that we're looking at here is, um, you know, talking about how getting into the room with the committee or getting into the room with the organization isn't the first step. It's a lack of, if not awareness, understanding that, how much research people do and how much people want to be prepared before they send the RFP or before they contact your salespeople. Um, that people really want to feel like they did their research before they bring other people in. Again, this is like the emotional part of being a business person or working in a corporation. You don't want to be presenting options to people if you feel like you didn't fully vet it. Mm-hmm. Um so if you're trying to protect yourself and make yourself look good, you're doing a lot of research before you decide here are the five vendors that we're going to reach out to. And part of that research is, 
you know, comparing the features and benefits, but you do have to getting at the inspiration thing. You have to inspire that person that they're going to make the right choice if they bring you into the room with their boss. (laughs) And like, if they're putting themselves on the line saying this organization can bring our cloud solutions to the next level, that first step is inspiring them, making them feel something, making yourself memorable. And then they can look at the features and benefits and be like, okay, yeah, this, this has what we're looking for. This is what we're missing with our current provider. And then they can make the rational explanation to their boss about why you're the right pick. But you first have to get them to think about you and consider you. Yeah, and, and I feel that, and all of us, I think, can relate to this, like, if you are set on buying something because of emotional reasons, you can rationalize anything. Oh, yeah. You can make shit up. I mean, Especially like, in B2B, because you can just take a big, long product features list and put it in front of your boss. You know they're not going to read the whole you know, checklist of the, pro- the product features. You're like, oh, yeah, this is great. Yeah, so it's really like... The created their creativity can be a business advantage because if you can make that initial person, I you know, I like to call them the gatekeepers or you know, the unfortunate soul that was tasked with, hey, we need you know a solution here. You, <laughs> Johnson, go do it. Um, you know, keep in mind they are going to all your competitors' sites, and if you have CRM with like, you know, and you could see people convert and what they do on their site. They don't spend a lot of time. They're like, do you do it? Yes. Good. Go. You're on the list. You're on the list. You're on the list. And and then, you know, they'll vet from that point on. But if you can spark them with a piece that makes them laugh or cry, whatever, like you can exploit their emotion to then, and then they will actually rationalize for you. Um, because the thing is, they do the work for you. <laughs> the, the reality is, is too, is like, you know, especially in B2B, I mean, you know, all everyone's competitors basically do the same stuff. Yeah, there's differences and maybe some proprietary framework or something, you know, or whatever that's different between the two. But like, you all do the same thing or else you wouldn't be in business, like, meaning you're all competent, like, you know. Like we have a proposal software, but there's like eight others that do the exact same thing, right? Mm -hmm. And why do we have one over another? Probably they have better materials. And it was an emotional decision just based on like, oh, I like the colors. Well, their website looks nice. I mean, you you forget that so when it's kind of like this, I I use this uh, metaphor is um, to a wine novice, right? Like, if you were like, guy, go out and buy a bottle of wine and um, you hid all prices from me, I and I'm a novice, I am making my decision based on label. Like if I don't know the price, I'm making my decision based on label of what the highest quality is. So I'm going to look for stuff that has gold leaf, some kind <laughs> of cool name you know, that like that paints a picture for me. And that's how your buyers are. You know, they don't know this stuff. The reason why they're coming to you for cloud scaled out, you know, hyper trophy. That was a wave <laughs> song. I don't know what this product is, but we need it. <laughs> <laughs> 
um, you know, they, they're coming to you because they don't know what it is, you know, like, and maybe they're, you know, they're obviously their CTO or whatever CIO is going to know what it is, but if they were such experts, they would do it themselves. They're coming to you, you know, because they know they need a bottle of wine and now you're, 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 you have to inspire them with the labels. You know, the real way I decide how good a bottle of wine is by price, right? I just like, you if, pick the one if, in the middle. Right, exactly. Like I don't want three dollar bottle of wine, and I don't want hundred bottle of wine. I'll pick yeah, fifty. That's good, right? Yeah. <laughs> but in B two B, you don't list your prices, you know, and you say this implement. You know, everything is custom, or at least you know, for our clients, the enterprise, you know, solutions. Um. So you don't list your prices. So what do you have left? Is you have the labels. You know, people are judging you by the the cover and then and then obviously one that gets you in the room and then your salespeople take over but you have to, and, and and the whole idea of getting chosen off the shelf or getting in the room that's what we call awareness mm-hmm. and that's the biggest challenge that's what your ads are for that's like why you would advertise most of the time you know obviously there's there's other pieces of the funnel and other important things and i think most companies do that well honestly more I get into it, like I think consideration, decision, people have that down, especially B2B mm-hmm. companies and, you know, with all the sales enablement, um, drive, what I see failing in what this article is talking about is is that like stuff that gets you in the room, that gets people to pick you off the shelf. And it's also, this ties back into the brand building piece of it too, because if you think about if someone is looking for um, – a new CRM option. Like everybody knows Salesforce. Like you're gonna consider Salesforce if you're looking for an enterprise solution for that. And why are you going to consider Salesforce? There's not like a rational reason. I actually think their platform is terrible. But it's, so, sorry. It's like it's user ugly. friendly. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> But what they have, they have excellent marketing um, and they do have a very robust, they offer a lot more than some of their competitors do. And they are a good customizable solution for a lot of people. Um, Sorry, Salesforce. But the reason it comes to your head first is not because you know that it's a great customizable solution for a lot of different financial and sales teams. You know it because they've built a brand and Mm -hmm. that you think of them and they've made themselves the default choice. At least like the first choice. And then then you'll do all your rational due diligence during the sales process. And that's where Salesforce still has to sell. Mm-hmm. So the brand isn't going to solve everything, you know, like, but what the brand does is it gets the people in the door and then their sales team, you know, has to take over. And time and time again, I talk to our clients and they're like, we just need to be invited because we have... A lot of mm-hmm. our clients compete against the Amazons and the Googles because Amazon and Google are trying to do everything enterprise. Basically, if anything's good, they go ahead and they copy it. A lot of our clients, they're like, yeah, but ours is better like because that's all we do, you know? Um, and they're right. They're actually right. But it doesn't it, – it's so hard for just, you know, for them to be invited. Mm-hmm. Once they're invited, they can they can kill it. You know what I mean? They're in the room and they have better stuff. They really do. But the problem is, is when a company goes into who who are we going to bring home? What are the bottles of wine that we're going to taste? 
if you don't have a brand, again, Amazon, Google, like, like right. Like yeah, why I would anyone? Them. Yeah. There it's having a brand makes you trustworthy. So again, we talk about B2B buyers wanting to, um, in some sense, make the safe choice and want to be able to protect themselves from getting in trouble if the implementation fails. <laughs> if you go with Amazon Web Services and for your cloud, and for some reason it goes horribly, horribly wrong, you can't really say like, oh, well, you know, no one's going to be like, well, you picked an untried vendor for right. this. Like, it's Amazon. Like, you know, everybody knows that you're going to trust them to some extent, um, even if it doesn't go well, then you're like, oh, well, but yeah, it was Amazon. Maybe it's just not the right fit for us. Without that brand building, if you do bring in someone who is unknown to the wider organization and it does fail, <laughs> you know, you, you lose that trust. Yeah. And that's what the article talks about is, I mean, there's lots at stake, you know, like if I, and that's where I think B2B marketers kind of rationalize. They're like, yeah, but we're not selling, you know, muffins or whatever. Like, it's not like, you know, if our client makes a, you know, a, it's not like a $2 thing. This is huge. And mm-hmm. so we need to appeal to their rational side. And they are right. It's just later in the sale, <laughs> you appeal to their rational side. Early on, you're missing all the stuff that would get someone to even get you to reassure them or to rationalize with them. Does that make sense? You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what, what you're saying is that if, if you don't inspire them to begin with, they'll, they won't write up, come up with the justification for bringing you into the room in the first place. Right. Um, and it also doesn't build that trust that I was talking about that helps you put yourself on the line. Cause it is, it could be your, your job on the line if something goes wrong. But if something goes right, then you get the promotion. Yeah. Bingo. <laughs> and that's where, and that's where a lot of, you know, and, and I pick on Amazon, Google, Salesforce, whatever, like just because they're known. They're but, known and they're the, you can always punch up, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it is true that those clients do everything, you know, I mean, sorry, those companies do everything. They're like generalists. So nine times out of 10, if you're a B2B company competing with those behemoths, you probably do do a better job. And, and you, when, once you get in the room, I bet you, you, you are really good at closing it. Mm -hmm. Um, The problem is you need to get in the room and you need to look. And that's all about like the look that's like, I mean, come on, I can't be the only one that does this, but like if me and my wife, Jen, are on vacation somewhere and we want to go rent a boat or something and there's three boat rental places, I'll open up all three. I won't really read any because they're all saying the same thing. And I'm just like, who's got the better website that's like cleaner with like fewer steps like that? It's not going to make me print out a PDF and like sign it and scan it back. You know what I mean? Who's yeah. going to like just... Like, and which one looks better? Like who's got better buttons? I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's just me, but like, that's how I choose when I can't, when I don't know. Now, if I was a boating expert and they were like, we have the, the Traeger 6, 9 X. I'm like, Oh, well, yeah, let's do that. Is that a boat brand? I don't even know. Traeger, I think is a boat brand. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I I couldn't have come up with a boat brand if you asked. But that's, you know, and, 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 and um, I forget where I was going, but uh, 
The yeah, point is, like, yeah, they're, they're choosing based on emotional contribution, not really the stuff. It hasn't been, they haven't gone that deep yet. You gotta like get them to just pay attention to you for a little bit first. And be willing to learn a little bit about you if you're an unknown entity. Correct. Yeah. I love the B2B Institute people. I mean, I feel like Hope and I discovered, or Hope sent me their article late last year. And um, what was the report? It was like the 2030 B2B trends. Yeah. The contrarian trends. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is, I'm a contrarian. (laughs) That's my. Wear the label proudly. Yeah. And, and my gosh, you should really download that. Go to LinkedIn B2B Institute. It's like the 2030 B2B marketing I'll, I'll link to it in the show it notes is just we should see if we can get them on the line on the on our show but uh my word every page and i usually hate those white papers i and i can't read them i, I don't understand anything there but this one i read cover to cover like it was beautiful it's everything <laughs> and i think they're exactly right brand is is it brand is it Brand and creativity. It's the only way that you can grow. It's the only way that you can stand out. There's only so far you can get on undifferentiated features and benefits. Right. It's almost like, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I'm just saying like people, you're going to hit a glass ceiling. You're going to hit the wall if you only do feature and benefits-based marketing. There's only so much growth you can have there. Right. Right. And also, I think where B2B Institute was saying too is, and I know we're, I digress here, uh, but when you do feature marketing, you know, when you sell the product, you're assuming that everyone's in market for that product. But mm-hmm. I think they did like, there's only like four to five percent of the buyable market of your customers. Four to, only four to five percent of them are in market at any particular moment. So when you just market the product and you're not memorable, yeah, you're talking to those four to five percent, but you're ignoring the 95 percent who aren't in market. But if you can make something creative, inspirational and memorable now, when any of those 95 percent go in market, they may yeah. remember you. Six months from now, a year from now, they remember that spot. They remember what you did. And then suddenly they're reaching out and you're at the top of their list. You know, I find there's a trend in the videos we make is that you make them and you really hear nothing. And then like a year and a half, two years later, our client will be like, oh man, we use them all. Oh man, we, it's because it takes a while for the in market and out of market to like kind of for the out of market to become in market. It takes a little bit. The B2B sales cycle is so long. You're not releasing an ad for shoes that someone's just going to impulse buy something. No one's impulse buying any SaaS products. Right. And the idea behind branding is that because branding is a more long-term play, once you, you know, if you gain saturation in that, in the market that may buy, procure your services, once the out-of-market turn flows into in-market, which may be five years from now, but if you've made something memorable, you're, you know, without spending any additional money, they are now entering your funnel. And that's where all your other content and, you know, uh, your sales folks can, can work, but it's, it's capturing those. It's, it's getting in the memory banks of the out of market audience. 100%. So to, 
Yeah, I feel like we were very smart in this episode. We sounded very good. <laughs> Bring us home, Hope. Please let us know if you thought that we were smart in this episode. We sounded uh, smart. I think we did. <laughs> let us know. <laughs> in sum, um, our very smart take on this article. So <laughs> We unpacked it. We unpacked the article. <laughs> now let's... Now, Pope, I want you to repack it. Package it back send up. It, put it on the shelf. Um, and I'm going to return to sender. Uh, <laughs> package it back up so nobody can tell that I already opened it. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, to sum it all up, so I'll, I'll link to this Marketing Week article. We recommend that anyone in the B2B marketing space or sales space takes a look at it and, and really think about it. Take a look at, at what especially video content, but any of your ad content you're doing and think about if I showed this to 6 million people, how many of them would, would their faces show an emotional reaction to, to what I'm doing? Um, and if not, maybe reconsider some of your, some of your content, get some creativity in there. So thanks for listening today. Let us know if you thought we sounded smart. Uh, you can always <laughs> visit us on our website at umalt.com. That's U-M-A-U-L-T.com. Uh, you can email us at hello at umalt.com. We're on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Find us around. Talk to us. We'd love to hear from you. So and thanks now, for I'm listening. And Clubhouse. Which I and Clubhouse. Yes. Hope doesn't. She I, doesn't have an iPhone. I have an Android phone, so they mm-hmm. don't want me in their club. Mm -mm. (laughs) (laughs) all right thank you thanks for listening everybody